Episode 127, United Airlines, nine reasons for not having lots of rules. You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. Welcome to The Game Changers, the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, and The Game Changers with Jason Jennings, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, best-selling author of eight books on leadership, growth, innovation, speed, and reinvention. Jason, great to be with you today. Uh, Dale, it's always good to be with you. So uh, everybody is talking. In fact, I just saw it on the news this uh, within the last couple of days. Uh, United Airlines will not go away. And the case of them dragging a passenger off and the fact that everybody in that plane had a mobile device and many of them started recording video of it. And that has played who knows how many times uh, on uh, all over the world. And it's really creating a global crisis for United. So you had a chance to fly United this week. I had a chance to fly United this week. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I have lots of thoughts. Uh, let me tell you about my flight this week. Um, the uh, initial leg was San Francisco to Chicago, and then I was flying from Chicago to Toronto. And uh, predictably, uh, I was supposed to have, before my flight to Toronto, an hour and a half or two hours at O'Hare Airport. And uh, with a delay, a rolling delay, a delay, a delay, uh, I was in the airport for about eight and a half hours uh, for a one-hour flight to Toronto. And so I really had a chance to to uh, just sit and watch things. There was a very surreal feeling uh, at O'Hare Airport this week. Um, and and I, I watched intently. I will tell you this. Uh, passengers were on their best behavior. Uh, there was an attitude of don't say anything, don't step out of line, don't do anything to upset anybody or the same thing might happen to you. And I'm, and I'm also sad to tell you, uh, I swear that everybody involved in security and policing was almost walking around or swashbuckling around the airport uh, with a renewed uh, feeling of just how much authority they have. It was a very tenuous feeling uh, at, o- at, o- at O'Hare Airport this week. Uh, not necessarily comfortable. It's always a bustling place. Uh, but this was hanging in the air um, at the airport. So you're saying that security actually felt emboldened by what happened? Without question. Without question. And I had hours to observe it. Security and the police were emboldened by what happened. And uh, I would say that the United employees were emboldened, too. Uh, I, uh, there's, there's no other way to describe what I experienced. And I had a somewhat different experience in that... Uh, I felt like everybody on on my United flight into San Francisco was uh, going above and beyond to make make us comfortable and being kind and generous. So, wow. Well, anyway, it's different. So, so- 
so so this episode of the, of the Game Changers is about United, and uh, I'm going to give some insights. I mean, here's an airline that I've flown almost 4 million miles, lifetime flight miles, just on United Airlines alone. And so I'm going to share some insights as to why I think this has happened. But the podcast is also about what can happen to any company that absolutely becomes rule-bound in the way they run their business. So first, a little history. Um, after deregulation of the airline industry in the United States, uh, United Airlines went through a succession of, of, of expansions uh, in the hotel business, uh, in the uh, publishing business, and that didn't work out under Stephen Wolf. They moved their headquarters. And, and there was a number of years that a, number, a, a succession of CEOs came and went, and the only thing that happened is that they used it like their personal piggy bank and, and enriched themselves. The airline didn't change. Nothing materially took place. There was a succession of CEOs. They all enriched themselves, but nothing really happened. So then let's come up to the current history. Um, post 911, uh, a man by the name of Glenn Tilton becomes the uh, CEO and chairman of United. And I had the opportunity of sitting in his office uh, with him on a couple of occasions, but I'm thinking back to the first time I was with him. And uh, we spent several hours that day talking about the airline. And ha- he was asking me my advice based on my books of how he could get some things done at the airline. And so what I'm going to tell you is a, is a true and accurate recounting of part of the conversation that took place between the two of us. At one point, as he was talking about his frustration with the people, the employees of United, um, I I looked at him and I said, I I think I've got another take on this. I said, what I've discovered uh, through my research and observation of people is that all groups of people will endure short-term hardship, short-term pain, in return for long-term benefit, long-term gain. And I said, if, if they believe that you are going to take the company to a better place and that they will have better tomorrows than today, they people will do almost anything. I mean, if somebody has to take a 10% pay cut, if wages have to be frozen for a while while things get sorted out, they will do that if they have belief in their leadership and belief that their leader is going to take them to a better place. And he paused and he looked at me and he said, there's only one thing wrong with that. And I said, what's that? And he said, I don't like people. You might need to, you've just stunned all of us as listeners. You might need to repeat that. He said he does not like people and he's leading people. And he went on to say that if he could run the airline without people, he would be a very, very happy man. So if you're wondering what happened to the culture under Glenn Tilton, well, you can see what, what happened. Nothing happened. Here was a man who, uh, whose head, very smart guy, but his head never met his heart. And then, of course, uh, after that, um, uh, then there was a, a huge history of, of labor problems and, and acrimony. And you recall that the pilots at one point in time took control of United Airlines and controlled the board, and they ran it into bankruptcy. So the airline now goes through a bankruptcy. And then uh, then we bring on Jeff Smezik uh, as the CEO who succeeded Glenn Tilton. And uh, he, he'll be best known for having uh, uh, meals during which time with the head of the Port Commission of New Jersey. He cut a deal, uh, and the deal was this. Uh, the head of the Port Commission in New Jersey uh, wanted a special flight uh, a couple of times a week from Newark to South Carolina where he had a vacation home. And United wanted some more slots at the airport. And 
And so uh, the, the, the agreement reached was he would see that United got the new landing slots at the airport if United would put this airplane on so he could commute to his vacation home. Uh, I don't know. He was found guilty. Is he in jail now, I think? But, of course, Jeff Smezik was out at, uh, out at United. Then the next thing that happens, what do they do, is uh, they go out and hire Oscar Munoz. And uh, where he came from is uh, CSX. He's a railroad guy. Now, of course, uh, unless you're running Amtrak, uh, CSX doesn't carry uh, any uh, any passengers, to the best of my knowledge, uh, in America. So he was running an airline where the trains have to be in time, but there was certainly no customer-fronting culture that he was ever responsible for running. So they brought him in, and you recall he was on he was on the on the in the in the seat for a few weeks, and he had a massive heart attack, and then he came back, and then all of a sudden it was announced he was going out and he was going to have a heart transplant, and I. I and I think he had everything going for him, and everybody was rooting for him. In fact, PR Week magazine recently had named him the Communicator of the Year for 2017. Well, obviously, uh, I mean, he's going to lose that uh, honor as a result of his invention of a new word. Uh, you recall his first apology, which was, uh, we're sorry that we had to reaccommodate this passenger. He didn't say, we're, we're sorry that we threw this guy off the airplane. We're sorry we beat the heck out of him. He said, we're sorry we had to reaccommodate him. I mean, so his several apologies, I mean, meant absolutely nothing at all. So let, let, let me just share with you uh, a couple of things that I've seen uh, in United over the years. I, I recall a few years ago, uh, I was on, uh, on a flight in United. I was sitting up in first class. It was one of those days where I hadn't had any breakfast and hadn't had any lunch, and that's my responsibility. And uh, the flight attendant came through and gave everybody a bag of peanuts and uh, a glass of soda pop or whatever it was. And I said, gosh, I'm really hungry. So at one point, and I'm, I'm Mr. Nice Guy uh, on an airplane. I, you get more with honey than you do with vinegar. I'm always the sweetheart. And at one point in time when she was walking by, I said, you know, I didn't have any breakfast or lunch today. Would it be possible when you have time, could I have one more bag of peanuts? I'm just absolutely starving. And she went to the front of the airplane. She came back. And with God as my witness, she had a big plastic garbage bag. It was filled with little bags of peanuts. She threw it at me. And she said, here, have as many as you want. I mean, these things. Like you had completely imposed upon her and made, made her life horrible that day. And we're going to get to why in, in, in just a few minutes. Then, not long ago, I was in the gym with a friend of mine by the name of Eric, uh, who flies all the time. He flies as much as I fly. And uh, he said, you're not going to believe what happened to me yesterday. And I said, what? He said, I was flying up from Los Angeles to San Francisco. And he said, I was flying coach. And uh, he said, so I opened the bin uh, uh, by my seat, and I went to put my suitcase up there. And she said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm just storing my suitcase. She said, well, you're sitting on the other aisle. It should go in the bin on the other side. He said, well, there's no room there, so I thought I'd put it here. And she said, you know what? You make me feel uncomfortable. Uh, I'm going to talk to the captain and have you removed from the airplane. And she got Eric kicked off the airplane. No altercation, no argument. Just because if a flight attendant says you make them feel uncomfortable, uh, they will deboard you or reaccommodate you. I mean, just like that. And one more, uh, not long ago I was flying from St. Louis to Newark to get up to Lake George uh, for a speech and a couple of days of holiday in upstate New York. And I had the family with me. And we boarded in St. Louis, and I got on the airplane. And I said to the flight attendant, I said, good afternoon. And she looked at me and said, that will remain to be seen. 
And uh, so we walked back to our seats, and we're sitting in coach, and there were three young students behind us, and they were dental students, uh, two young women and, and a young man. And what are you when you're a second-year dental student? I don't know, 24, maybe 25, I'm not, I'm not sure. And from just listening to them chat, uh, they were off on their first vacation. They were going to Europe for two weeks, and they were so excited. They were tanned. They were good-looking people, laughing and giggling in anticipation of their trip. And at one point in time, this flight attendant who had said, it'll remain to be seen whether it's a good afternoon she stomped back like a stormtrooper she looked and nobody had drinks i mean we were only into the flight so these kids were not having cocktails and she looked at them and with a meanest stare she said if i hear one more giggle or one more laugh out of the three of you on this flight i'm going to report you to the tsa and put you on the do not fly list and you'll be banned from flying for the rest of your life and with that she abruptly turned around and stomped back down the aisle. This stuff, um, this stuff is not uncommon, and I'm sure that we'll get many, many emails uh, from people who will recount their own stories. But what I want to talk about is what happens. So, so what has been the response of United Airlines over the years? I mean, through the rapid succession of CEOs who personally enriched themselves, through a guy who said he doesn't like people, through a guy who was trading flights in return for landing slots, uh, and, and now... Oscar being in the role. Here's what happens. They've had to have a rule for everything. They've had to have a rule for anything. And what they've ended up with, Dale, is they've ended up with a culture of rules as opposed to a culture of honor. And I think there's a number of things that have, they even have a rule for who can get a whole can of soda pop and who can only have a half glass of soda pop. They have a rule for everything on the airline. Here's what happens. I recall uh, interviewing Marshall Larson, uh, who took Goodrich, a former uh, tire maker, and turned it into an aerospace giant. And uh, during the interview in one of my books, uh, uh, I, I report him as saying, uh, rules are made for an infinitesimally small percentage of people. All rules are made for 1% or 2% of the people that need the rules. He said, so you really have to look at it this way. Do you want to have all these rules, a huge rule book, hundreds of pages of rules, I mean, for 98 or 99% of the people who don't need them, or are you going to have a rule book for everybody because of the bad 1%? He said, when I took over at Goodrich, he said, I immediately decided we were not going to have pages and pages of rules uh, for the 98 or 99% of people who don't need rules. We weren't going to have that. Instead, what we're going to do is get rid of the people, I mean, that 1% or 2% of the people who need the rules. And so what happens, rules are made for a minute percentage of people. It's easier to get rid of the bad people, the bad apples, than it is to have lots of rules. Uh, number two, very often, rules cow for the frontline personnel they're, they're going to be held accountable, but the ones who are not held accountable are the ones at the top. I remember uh, Jeff Smizek, uh, the former CEO of United, sitting with a bunch of global services people. This is the highest designation you could possibly have in United, and saying, uh, you know, you guys are very lucky, you know, and you understand I can cut the cord and you can lose that global service status anytime I want you to, and then we'll stick you back there with the animals. And uh, so when you've got a CEO saying something like this, so rules call for the frontline, front-facing personnel to be held accountable but not the boss. Rules announce, number three, rules announce that you don't trust people. They simply say, I don't trust you, and here's an 880-page rule book, and you memorize these rules, and you do everything in accordance with the rules. That's when you end up Number four, with a rules-bound culture as opposed to an honor-bound culture. Number five, 
Rule-bound cultures attack or attract rule-bound people. Uh, there's a special certain type of person who's attracted by organizations that are filled with rules. Unfortunately, these are not the people that you want to have front-facing with your people. Then number six, what happens is this. Rule-bound and frustrated people in a rule-bound organization take it out on whoever they can, in this case, the customer. Uh, at United, you've got leadership, that really doesn't like the people that work there. You've got pilots that don't like the leadership that works there. You've got flight attendants who are not liked and have been abused and taken advantage of by bad leadership for years. Who do they take it out on? I mean, they take it out on the customers. Those are the only people to take it out on. Uh, Number seven, when you have a rule-bound culture, good people who want to do the right thing leave. They're not going to put up with this garbage. They're going to leave the organization. And then number eight is what happens is you constantly need more rules to fix the rules that you had in place to begin with. Hence, this is where you end up with, I mean, these people can only get a half a can of soda pop, but these people can get a full can of soda pop. And so you constantly have to invent new rules wherever there's uh, wherever there's not a rule. You've got to make a new rule. You've got to make a rule. And if the rule's not working, then let's add another rule on top of that rule. And then what happens finally, number nine, You know what happens. The people who like rules more than anybody else, the government steps in, and they're going to come up with rules to protect the people from all the rules that you have made. And that's the last thing that you want to have happen. You really want to let the marketplace decide. But we're in a bit of a quandary now because since deregulation, for example, in San Francisco, if I'm not mistaken, and I stand to be corrected, I believe that United Airlines has close to a 62 or 63% domestic market share. I mean, you really don't have a choice. You really don't have a choice. So while I maintain the marketplace has to decide, not the government has to decide, it's very difficult where they've allowed these uh, these big four airlines, I mean, to basically control all the landing slots uh, at airports. But you watch. There's going to be government regulations proposed and probably something passed as a result of what happened on United Airlines. And so the ultimate rule makers, the government, get involved. So what happens? Every organization has a culture deal. It is one of two. It is either the culture that you want to have, that you love, that you nurture, that you spend your time bringing alive and celebrating with your people. Witness what's going on at Delta right now. Um, or if you don't get the, if you don't have the culture you want, you actually get the culture you deserve. And the culture you deserve to have in the absence of a strong unified culture is everybody out for themselves, and the last person they give a darn about is the customer. And one final thought, wasn't it interesting to see what Delta responded with after Dr. Dow was forcibly removed, badly beaten, badly, badly beaten, uh, and taken off this airline? Within a couple of days, Delta announced that uh, in the future, because they have to occasionally, they overbook uh, occasionally too, like all other airlines doing. And once in a while, the algorithm goes wrong and you've got to have a couple of people get off the airline or off the airplane. Uh, They said that uh, their frontline people will be able to offer up to a couple of thousand dollars. And if a supervisor agrees, they can go as much as $10,000. Well, I'll tell you what, Dale, I mean, anybody who's going to their father's funeral, if they're offered $10,000 to get off an airline and take a later flight, they are going to do that. But what I love most was the math. If you took all of the people that Delta involuntarily 
took off airplanes last year because of an overbooking situation, and if you gave every one of them $10,000, that would have only been like a $20 million hit. And with their huge revenues and their huge bottom line, it would have been absolutely insignificant. Uh, So you've got Delta over here, which is really working hard to have this culture of honor. And then you've got United over here, which has a culture of rules. And so the question that I'm asking anybody uh, who's watching or listening today is this, what's your culture? Uh, Do you have a culture of honor or do you have a culture of rules? Uh, Because if you have a culture of rules, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, because it's all going to be taken out on the person who it shouldn't be taken out on, and that is your customer. And if you just think, number one, uh, if United would have paid $10,000 to each of the, what, four people they had to pull off that airplane yes. that day, yes, uh, $40,000 is nothing compared to the millions of dollars in bad press. Billions of dollars. Billions bad, of dollars in bad billions press. Billions of dollars in horrible, bad press press. And that's what you get when you're penurious. I mean, it's just another statement of how callously they disregard passengers. So let's, I want to break this idea down of, of taking a look at your, at your rule book. Um, when, uh, so I was CEO of an organization and I went in and I, I completely stripped the, the rule book down to one page and basically one rule, treat others with respect. Right. Everything else falls into place. The attorneys, the HR department, they just went ballistic. So help us through the conversation that leaders need to have with their HR, with their attorneys, when the attorneys throw state law, federal law, employment law, uh, and, and all the rules associated there. Let's, let's give leaders some tools to facilitate these conversations. Well... First of all, let's talk about the attorneys and let's talk about the people in HR. What are they all trying to do? Uh, These people are trying to feather their own nest. So all of these people in HR, I mean, first of all, every organization has to be in compliance. I mean, a thousand percent compliance, a hundred percent compliance all the time. So you've got to be in compliance with, with with federal and state laws. You absolutely have to do that. I mean, that's just a given. But none of these rules or or, or none of these things that happen at United. I mean, in their big rule book, the government did not say that so and so is going to get a half a can of Coke and a better customer is going to get a full can of Coke. I mean, there's no government law that said that. And so, you know, the people in HR want to justify their jobs. They want to have some thing to do. I mean, they've got 10 people who write rules. I mean, they have to protect the jobs of the rule writers. It's the, it's the exact same thing. I mean, I always laugh. You can take a perfect legal document, I mean, that has been vetted by the best attorneys in the country, give it to a lawyer, and one of them, oh, well, I've got to spend some hours with this because, you know, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to create billable hours. And so everybody is trying to uh, pr- pr- prove their own importance. And so the message from the top has to be, I think of Charles Koch and Koch Industries. We will be in 100% compliance 100% of the time for 10,000% compliance with federal rules as they relate to safety and state laws. Set those aside. Our operational rule is going to be that we love our customers and we treat our customers the way that we want to be treated. So it's, it's, it's a workaround. I mean, you cannot allow yourself to get bullied by the rule writers. Oh, that's what I wanted to hear. Thank you very much. So any final words for us? 
favorite book you want to recommend this week? You know, I do. And, and you know, sometimes uh, I can say that I, I did the speech for Mitsubishi or I did the speech for Marco's Pizza. And then once in a while, uh, I'm bound by the confidentiality of the, of the nature of my work with clients. And uh, this past week, I was with an executive committee uh, of a Fortune 100 company. And the executive committee was made up of all the CEOs of all their wholly owned subsidiaries and operating units. And it wasn't a speech. Uh, it was an entire afternoon. And here's an amazing, big, big, well, as I said, Fortune 100 company. Uh, everybody in the room had not only read the reinventors, but loved the reinventors. And as the CEO of this company said, this comes closest to being the best business book that I have ever read in my life. It really spoke to me and it really provided us a blueprint. And uh, so I would urge everyone uh, to, uh, if you've got a copy of the reinventors, uh, read it or reread it. But if, but if you have not read the reinventors, it's uh, um it's really a good book. I mean, there's just so much good stuff. And I can promise you this, read The Reinventors, and you will then not end up with a rule-bound culture. Absolutely. All right. Jason Jennings, thank you so much. Uh, great episode and something for us to think about today. You know, Jason Jennings is the author who USA Today calls one of the most three most in-demand business speakers in the world. You can find out how you can arrange to have Jason keynote your next event or leadership conference. Learn about his fees and availability. Check out the website, jason-jennings.com. Click the contact button and follow the instructions, jason-jennings.com. This is The Game Changers, the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. Go strike out some rules. You've been listening to The Game Changers, leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention with business thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Jason Jennings. Read Jason's most recent New York Times bestseller, The Reinventors, and visit his website at jason-jennings.com.